You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into the sermon. I also wanted to, in my prayer, acknowledge that we're in the middle of uh, coming to the end of Black History Month and just the significance it has for us as it forms us, not just as Christians, but as Americans, uh, from the history of um, black history way before there was a country called America. Um, So let me pray as we acknowledge God's work in our nation and our church. Lord, we thank you, God, for the ways you are moving. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good God. And we take time right now even to acknowledge, as our nation acknowledges Black History Month. And God, as someone who obviously is not African-American myself, Lord, It's easy to just kind of think that's for someone else, but more I reflect, I realize that's my history too. And God, much of who we are is formed from hardships, joys, celebrations, gifts, culture, Lord, of black history. So Lord, help us even as a church that we would not separate who we are formed spiritually from Uh, how culture forms us. And we would acknowledge, Lord, the strengths of our nation that have come from many who've toiled and many who've been. And realistically, Lord, probably in America, um, as African Americans and and Native Americans are probably two groups, Lord, where there's been a lot of pain involved to be part of this country. But we thank you, you're a God of redemption as well. And help us as a church committed to justice that we would be talking about the multicultural dynamic of so many different people coming together to be one, united in Christ, and help us to do that well. Help us to be better about acknowledging that, God, and to work together to be one with the diversity and all the beauty involved with that. So guide us in this time right now, even as we talk about who we are and continue to take these steps. Remind us we're a relational people and that your grace is sufficient as we seek you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are, we are coming, uh, we've got one more week after this, not next week, but the week after where we're doing this series called Who We Are. Uh, we're looking at different patterns of connections that, that tie us together to God, but also to one another. And um, it's been a good one. I, I think it's just from some of the feedback I've gotten, I think it's been helpful digging into some of these topics. I would encourage you, if you haven't been able to listen, you can go on, online and find uh, on the website um, the sermon archives. But today... Uh, we're looking at this idea of parenting. And um, before some of you check out, say, okay, this is a Sunday has absolutely nothing to do with my life. I don't think it'll ever have anything to do with my life. Um, this is my philosophy. Obviously, for some in this room, parenting is a very real-life thing right now. For others, it might be a very real-life thing sometime coming down the line. But, but my philosophy, and I hope for our church, is that when we think of parenting, it's not just um, talking about family of origins. But we, if we take seriously that God says when we're in him, we're family. It, there's verses that talk about spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And my goal is that we would all grow and develop to have that heart of parenting. Um, I mean, I, I feel blessed myself. That when I look at a lot of you in church, I think of myself, even if you don't look at me, I'm not that old, so we shouldn't think that way. But I think of myself as how can I be a good spiritual father 
in these ways. So I think a lot of these principles go across the board. So I want you to be able to realize these are good things for all of us. But the reality for some of us is going to really hit home. And I also want us to be able to say, how can we support those who maybe this is a part of their real journey at this moment in time? And even as you think about parenting, it's hard to preach on because uh, I think, in my experience, there's two areas of life that people get really kind of either judgmental about or on the flip side, kind of self-righteous about. It's like money. Like we get really kind of self-righteous about how someone should use money, how someone should not use money. And the other one is parenting. Like, we've got deep down, this is how a parenting should look like or should not look like. Um, and, and I want to be very clear. When we talk about issues like parenting, I think there are biblical principles, but I don't think there's, like, one way to say this is the biblical way you parent. Whether you keep your kids uh, inside your house to school them or you send them to a public school or whether you, you use physical discipline or you don't or how, all those different things, whether you give allowances or they, whatever, I think... There are um, different ways to do this thing called parenting, but I also think there are biblical principles that are common to all. And I think some of the challenge sometimes, because parenting does fall under that kind of self-righteous or, well, no one can tell me how to do it because, you know, we can, I think that might be true, but what I've noticed is sometimes it can make us hard-hearted to receiving outside wisdom because we're like, well, we're going to do it the way we do it. Um, And my prayer for you is, uh, a humble heart to kind of hear like bigger picture principles to guide us, even if the application might be different uh, for whoever's represented here. Um, so again, a lot of these sermons have been coming and developed really with the help of good materials from Porterbrook, and, and um, I'm indebted to that. But I want to start up by thinking about the essence of sin. And that word sin, depending on your background, you have a lot of ideas. Um, sin, sometimes we think of things we do wrong, and that's definitely sin or ways we, we're disobedient. But for the purposes of today, let me think about sin this way. Um, that maybe sin is believing life is best lived without God ruling over me. That sin is believing that life is best lived without anyone, but even God ruling over me, ruling over us. Because, and, and I think it's a good thing in our nation about independence and freedom. Those are things to be celebrated. But as people who value independence and freedom, maybe the greatest challenge is to imagine how living under the rule of anyone would be beneficial for us. Like we are independent, strong-minded, kind of like, uh, you know, don't tread on me, pull up my boots. It's hard for us to imagine or conceive how living under the rule of anyone, even God, can be good for us. But the thing is, the good news of Jesus, it proclaims that very fact. Following the ways of Jesus actually proclaims that this life is best lived when we submit under and follow our good God. That when we put ourselves under the ways of the Lord, that is actually the best way life happens, that God's rule, it it is a rule, but it's a rule of blessing, freedom, love, life, justice, and peace. It is very much good news. So I, I say that for us here to conceive of this idea of parenting then, that parenting is an essential component of teaching this good news of God's rule. That when we think of parenting, ultimately we're trying to teach what does it mean to live under the rule of God and see that it's a good thing. So let me read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, as we start off here. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and, you know, when we first look at this here, we probably ask, what the heck does a paying parents have to do with living long in the land? I, I don't see the connection in how we listen to mom and daddy's rules. How does that somehow give us a long-lasting life in the land? And it's helpful to know here for some context that verses 2 to 3 are a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. The, the law that Moses gave uh, from God in, in Deuteronomy 5.16, where Moses, he's recounting the Ten Commandments. At the end of that, in verse 32, it will say this, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you possess. So what God is doing, he's declaring that his people, they would live a life of blessing in God's land if they obey God. If you obey God, you're going to be blessed. Anything else, it'll lead to chaos. It'll lead to conflict and destruction. So ultimately, if the people, if they rejected God, it's going to lead to exile, which is actually what happened. If we look at the history of Israel, they didn't obey God, and God exiled them out of the land. So living under God's rule would lead to blessing, while rejecting God's rule would lead to judgment. And we see the same dynamic in families. We see the same dynamic in families that when members of a family live for themselves, and again, I'm not pointing any fingers here. Right? Don't, don't, don't think just of your family. Say, man, he is God is with you. But when you see in a family that when members of a family live for themselves, the result is chaos, conflict, and destruction. So part of parenting is it's teaching children how to live alongside other people. Uh, part of parenting is teaching how do we negotiate differences that we have. Parenting is how do we learn to express personal views while also giving space to respect and tolerate other people's opinions. I mean, you know, like, things required to live in a good society. <laughs> and we could probably use a little bit in 2017 America, right? Um, basically, how to get along, how to exist in a society together. And I would suggest parenting is a huge aspect of teaching some of these principles, So parenting, it's not just about having a happy family. I know for some of us, that's our goal. I just want peace. I just want like five minutes of quiet. I'm not asking that much. Just peace, happy. We all smile. It doesn't take vacation to some extent. We can just sit here and enjoy. There is happiness, but I want to say it's just more than happiness. But family is the place where we learn to submit under authority. We teach children how to submit under authority instead of just living for yourself. And I'll say this, parents who do this, parents who commit to this, they are a huge gift to their children. Huge gift to their children. Honestly, even if the kids don't recognize it at the time, and most kids won't, right? Like, man, you're a taskmaster, you're making my life hard. Kids are not going to recognize it, but if parents take this approach to really exercising discipline, showing what it means to submit, showing authority, It's a real gift to kids. Because kids who are taught to submit to their parents' authority, taught to obey their parents, they are being taught to live under the good authority of God as well. It's training. It's training and discipleship. How do we follow God? I want to be clear. This doesn't mean we don't let kids be kids. Sometimes people get disciplined, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm all about discipline, man. Our house is going to be like an army. 
right? It's going to be like barracks. They're going to have mess hall and they got time. So, I mean, that's all good. Again, freedom, right? But I want to make sure we know it. This doesn't mean we don't let kids be kids because they'll be messy. And some of us, you know, your type A just drives you crazy, right? But kids are messy. Um, they'll make mistakes. I know that's hard to imagine, but kids make mistakes. Um, tables and cars will not stay clean. There will be smells that you've never thought you would want to have in your life that just become normal. Um, kids are loud. I mean, even when they think they're being quiet, inside voice. What's the inside voice? You know, it's, it's just this weird concept. Kids are kids. I mean, and we've got to give room for kids to be kids. Sometimes we want them to be adults before they're adults. So there's got to be grace there. But as we allow them to be kids and give them freedom there, we also need to teach children to submit to authority. We've got to learn to teach kids to submit to authority. In our house, we've got one phrase, and our kids love to joke with it now, but we always ask them, who's the boss? And lately, our kids are saying, me. And we're like, no, 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 you're, you're not the boss. Who's the boss? I am. No, 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 you're not. Um, they used to be really obedient and say, mommy and daddy. Um, but we're trying to teach them, you are not the boss of your life. You're, you're, I, I know it's your life, but you are not the boss of your life. And when they have a babysitter, we ask them before, who's the boss? And, and we point to that person. You're going to learn to follow whoever we entrust to lead you. Because we have to be mindful, if we don't discipline areas of disobedience, we might be teaching them without intending to that they are the king of their own lives. If kids rule, if their word is law, we might be, without intending to do it, teaching them somehow that, oh, ultimately, you're the king of your own life. You've got your little kingdom called you, and you are the little king with your little crown. But no one is meant to be the center of their world. Um, We were created to give God glory. And that means life is best lived when God is the center of our world. This is not just talking about kids. This is all of us. That life is best lived when God is the center of the world. So it means teaching that's all about God. Which also means it's all about serving other people. And and we see the fruit of this in our church. We talk about this all the time. What does it mean to follow God? It means recognizing it's not all about you. We say that phrase a lot, right? It's not all about you. You know what helps us when people have been raised in that way? And and, and they just understand life? It's not about me. Because then our mentality is, what can I do to serve other people? What can I do to generously give? What does it mean that everything doesn't have to come around what makes me happy? And I've noticed when kids learn that from a young age, it's just a natural expression of following God. Oh yeah, this is not all about me, even in the church. And I'm going to suggest this is not even a church thing, but this is preparing uh, little ones to get bigger and just to live in the world. One of the biggest challenges for a lot of young people going into the workforce now is they've never learned to submit under another person. So they go to this place called a job, right? A J-O-B, job. And, and they suddenly they've got this person called a manager saying, well, you're going to go do this by this time. No one tells me what to do. Uh, um, my signature on that paycheck says, I tell you what to do. No, no one tells me what to do. I'm the boss of me. I'm the king of my own little life. And, and next thing you know, you're out of a job. No one's going to tell me how to dress in something. No one's going to tell me what I can say or what I can't say. And they're just basic life skills that are learning what does it mean, again, I'm not saying under evil people, but under situations to learn what it means to submit to authority. Um, I, do, I do a lot of premarital counseling. One of the best aspects of premarital counseling 
is being able to understand when parents have in, in, invested into their kids this idea it's not all about you, that leads to healthy marriages. Because marriage is going to force you to know it's not all about you. And when you've developed these ideas already, hey, it's not all about me. The world is bigger than just me at the center of it. That's life. That's life. That we learn to submit to one another. We learn to submit to authority. We learn to do these different things. So parents then, it's so important that we model God's good, his freeing, his just rule in the way that we bring up children. That we're to show and demonstrate that it is good to live under authority. And obviously we're assuming good authority. We're assuming like people who have the best intentions for you. We're not talking like evil people learning to submit necessarily all the time. I think sometimes there's times for speaking up. But I think in general, what does it mean to submit under authority that God has placed? And I think essentially, if we boil it down, the number one aim as a parent is to show how great is it to live under God's reign of love. That in our families, man, how good is it for us to say, God is God, we are not, and we are going to live under his rule because he loves us, and he cares for us, and he's going to make things so that if we follow him, it's not saying everything's like a formula, it's going to go good, but life in general will be better if we um, submit ourselves under God's rule. And this is not to pressure kids into kind of a begrudging uh, life of duty, but this is proclaiming the greatness of Christ. And that when we see how great God is, our desire would be to submit under the reign of his rule in our lives. Part of that, it's showing kids that, that God's rule is gracious. It's helping children to see that sometimes one of the reasons why they have such a hard time submitting under authority is because of this thing called sin. It's because, and this is all of us, right? One of the reasons that we have a hard time submitting to anyone is because of our own hearts, our own sin, that we are rebels against God and, and we're his enemies. It's helping children to see why they ultimately misbehave. Um, if you're like me, I'll just be fully forthright. It's much easier for me to kind of target different things about kids and say, man, if you just stop doing that, everything would be so much better. If you stop, like, keep putting those Legos on the ground with pointy side up for me to step on, everyone would be so much happier. Can you just not take your toys after you've played them? Put it back in the box. I mean, just simple stuff. And, and, and I think there's some room for that. And there's a lot of theories on why children misbehave. Some common ones I've heard, um, they're just tired. They're tired and they're grumpy, and a lot of us can identify with that, right? Um, it's other kids' influence, because my kid's actually an angel. But man, it's little Bobby from school or from church, or little Sally at the playground. Man, my kid didn't know how to throw sand until he started hanging out with her. <laughs> Sometimes we say they misbehave because, you know, it's just too much stimulation. It's actually your fault for having church, because kids come here and they're so good before this, but then they get around all these people and they get all excited, and then they start misbehaving. You're sending our kids home crazy. It's your fault. Or, man, it's their hormones acting up. Man, not the hormones. It's just the body acting or, or video games, right? The dreaded video games. Man, those World of Warcraft, see what it's doing to the kids. Or, man, it's the additives in their food, right? We'd be totally fine, but, man, General Mills and all of the nasty stuff they put in the food, this is what making the kids go crazy. Or, man, they're just hungry. And our daughter, I mean, she's all, she seems like she's always hangry. Right? Hungry and angry at the same time. And we can time it like to when she's had her snack 
because she starts becoming like a volcano. And we see her starting to shake a little bit. Okay, has she had a Cheerio in the last half hour? <laughs> like, cold blue, cold blue, get a Cheerio in her right now. Sometimes we say, is there, is there food or lack thereof? Or maybe it's like more medical issues like ADHD. I think that's a reality, right? Or, or you know, sometimes little Sally is just misunderstood. This is just the way she is. She's unique. Just got to see that her life is just the way it is. Or sometimes we blame the parents. It's not the kid's fault. But man, those parents didn't do any job of parenting them. No wonder the kids are like that. And, and I, I want to I affirm, I think all of these can play a part. I, I do think, I think all of these can play a part. But what I also affirm is I don't think it gets to the ultimate heart of the matter. That, that it is a heart issue. Though all these things might play a part, ultimately we want to deal with the heart. And one uh, passage from Mark chapter 7, verses 21. Mark 7, 21 says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and, def- and they defile a person. What this is saying, and this is Jesus talking is here, it's easy to look at behavior as this kind of separate thing, but all evil behavior has a source. It comes from within where this place called a heart. And biblically, when we say heart, we're not just talking about the organ that's pumping the blood, but we're talking the source of who you are. In in essence, like the center of your soul there. That all of us, including children, the reason we're disobedient is not just because we do bad things, but it's because of sinful, selfish hearts. And that the source of all actions, both good and bad, is the heart. So that means having a heart change is ultimately much more important than just controlling behavior. I want to give a little caveat here. Because sometimes we can get really good about this heart language and say, you know what? We need little little Jimmy. We just need his heart to be transformed because we don't want him to be legalistic and do things for the wrong reason. There is, especially the younger children are, it don't matter about the heart. (laughs) Sometimes you need to teach little kids, no, this is what you do. You don't run into the street even though you want to do it. It doesn't matter how much your intent is and your motives. You do not do that. And right now, you are at an age where you don't understand that. So you listen to me, and even if you don't feel it, this is not what you do. You do not pour that down your brother's throat. No, no, that's not what you do. Like, there are certain things you just teach obedience with the hope that down the line, it turns into grace. But bigger picture, what we're saying is ultimately, we don't just want to modify behavior, but we want to see the actual source of who we are transformed and changed. Because ultimately, uh, our aim is to teach children the ways of God. That our, our discipline, it'll be concentrated on the motives of their heart, not just the expressions of their behavior. That the goal, it's not just control, but it's rather a child who delights in and knows and serves God. Um, so it, it requires this idea of good discipline. I think some of the good discipline is, is being calm. It's making sure that we're not being, as a parent, and I have, I, you can tell I'm hyper, right? Calm is not easy for me when my kids are acting crazy. I want to go off. But it, it's realizing sometimes there needs to be calm there, that I'm not letting my emotions ruling discipline. It, it's to be clear, it's giving children uh, commands that are easily understood and clear, that discipline, and, and for them to explain and understand why they're being disciplined. It's being consistent. 
It's setting consistent boundaries. It's following through with warnings. It's not um, mom saying, okay, you're not allowed to do that after school today. And then the kid runs to dad because they know dad's going to say, ah, do whatever you want. There needs to be consistency between caregivers. And good discipline is concentrated on the heart. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that's just a lot harder. It's much easier to actually control behavior. It's much easier for me to say, hey, don't do that because that's a bad thing to do. But to take a little eight-year-old and say, why did you do that? Explain to me what made you talk that way to your sister. That takes a lot more energy and effort. It, it, it does. To, to try to seek out motives and intent. To, to ask questions. To try to understand what they're thinking in their little minds. But I want to suggest, focusing on the heart, it can help us to lead little ones to Christ. Because... I think the reality is most people, we can change our behaviors even for a little bit. We can control our behaviors whether we know God or not. We can act like a good person, but it's a whole nother matter to try to teach a kid, no, we want you to feel love for that person who's just said bad things to you. What? No, we want you to learn to forgive your younger brother who took that block and hit you upside the head. What? How do I do that? Oh, and, and then what do we do usually? No, I want you to hug. Well, at least in our family. Hug now. And the kids are like, hugging each other. They don't mean it. But for me, I mean, I feel, it feels like reconciliation, right? But it doesn't mean anything. It's a whole other matter to actually want to feel that kind of forgiveness. And that is such a beautiful way to be able to teach little ones and big ones of our need for Christ. Because how do you do something that you don't feel? Right? And some of you have been there. How do you love an enemy? How do you stop lusting? Have you ever tried to stop lusting? Your brain just gets wrapped more around lust. <laughs> it's, it's about how do, you, how do you not do things that you're feeling from in, within your soul is to have that soul transformed. And that's one of the best ways to lead little ones to Christ to say, are you seeing that frustration with trying to love that bully at school? It's hard, isn't it? It feels kind of impossible, actually, right? That's why you need Jesus, because he can do in you what, what you can't. Again, I mean, it's helping kids to understand why they have such a problem wanting to obey. And I know that's just kids. That's none of us here, right? We all want to obey. But at least for kids, it's explaining, yeah, you know what? We don't obey. We're rebellious, every single one of us. But how does God act towards his enemies who are rebellious? There's this thing called a cross. And Jesus Christ, though he didn't do anything, he, except be good, He went to a thing called a cross, and the king dies on the cross in your place. In the place of his enemies, so that we can now be his friends. Guys, that's one of the best ways that we introduce Jesus to little ones, is to be able to explain what Jesus does that we're not able to do. So as parents, again, we want children to live under authority. That's, that's real. That's important. But they also need to learn of a God who welcomes, loves, and even gives his life for his enemies. It's not authority for authority's sake. It's authority and, and submitting to someone who's loving you, sacrificing, giving. And one of the best ways they learn of this God of grace is through the grace they receive from their parents. And you might judge my parenting style here, but I'll tell you how I do it sometimes. If our kids have just... And, Relatively, my kids are great. I love them. But sometimes I'm, I'm shocked at their capacity to be like unloving, 
right? So sometimes they'll be really bratty. Sometimes they'll be really ungrateful. Sometimes like we've given them like the best thing and we've, we've done something for them. And like 10 minutes later, they're like snapping each other. And sometimes I just put them in front of me. I'm like, you are acting really horribly right now. Do you know that? Do you know that you are not being very kind right now? Do you know that right now you're not very generous? This all belongs to me. You know that, right? That toy, that's mine. You know that I'm letting you play with it, right? And I tell them very clearly, you know what? You're being a real stinker right now. But you know what? I love you so much. That's not going to stop me from loving you. I'm going to keep loving you. And I'm going to keep disciplining you sometimes because I love you. And we do a big hug. And usually it's not forced, right? But we do a big hug to say, because I'm trying to teach them also the grace of God. That God calls us to submit. God calls us to follow authority. Calls us to obey. All for good reasons. But even when we don't obey, we got a father who welcomes us into his arms. Who loves us. Who craves relationship with us. Because the world we live in, it doesn't really speak that, right? The world we live in is you do this, obey in this way. And when we don't, what happens? See ya. No, I got no more part of you. And in our families, we can model what does grace look like when we don't deserve it. God has given a great responsibility to parents in the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9 in the Old Testament law, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What it's saying is that parents have a real responsibility to raise their children. And, and I know there's some thought out there that says, you know what? Each person is their own individual, and kids will do what they will. You know, I can't change. A, a, you know, every person is their own. They got to determine their values, their beliefs, whatever. And I, some of that's true. We're all individuals. But some of that's very not true. That's a fallacy. We very much, if you're a parent, you very much have a responsibility to build into them what they will know. That's called being a parent. Because, and we all know this, right? Children, if it's not your voice, they have many voices that are going to continually be speaking to their life on a regular basis. Constantly. Whether it's media, whether it's other people. They, They will always have voices speaking to them. So your role as a parent is to teach your child's heart. Your role as a parent is, is to monitor some of the voices that are coming into their life and to help them to see if some of those are not helpful and not honoring to God. Because I guarantee you, someone or something will teach your children, if not you. And, and I want to make this, I'm speaking to the whole church here, and we, we do this especially with dedications, right? We talk about the fact that, yeah, maybe some have a biological responsibility to kids, but as a church, guys, what does community look like? It means that we all work in this together. We all take responsibility. Why do I have the kids come up here front to pray for them? Because I want you guys to see them, and maybe you're also praying for them as well, and you're praying for families here. And, and I want to ask you, especially if maybe if you are, uh, don't have children right now yourself, how can you support those in this church that do? How can you be praying for them? How can you walk in with them? How can you ask them, how can we support you? 
And, and I'll just say this. This is a freebie. One of the best things I think and why I love what I see in our church at times. Man, I want my little ones to grow up in a community like this where they look around and they see people that they really admire. And you might not think they admire you. My kids admire you. And they say, wow, those people, they're, they're kind of cool. But they actually believe this God is real. How many people grow up in church their whole life and they don't think anyone in that church actually believes what they're doing? (laughs) That's some of us, right? What would it look like for children growing up in the church to say, you know what, yeah, they're they're really not perfect here. I've seen them in their worst sides. But man, they love God. This is like real to them. That's one of the best things you can do to support families here as well, along with practical things. I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there. Offer to babysit. Get to know the parents. Get to know the families, especially if you see yourself one day wanting to have a family. The best way you can do that is learn from some of these families, both from their strengths, but also maybe from some of their weaknesses. Ask and, and learn from them. And, and, and offer yourselves in that way. And I, I do want to say to the parents here, um, and I fully acknowledge this, sometimes hearing messages about certain things like parenting or marriage or money, or sometimes it makes you feel worse because you're like, all right, I, I stink. I'm not doing any of that. I'm like parent of the nothing. Like it's, it's, I want to encourage you, don't lose hope if you don't even see the complete fruit right now in your parenting. I read this story this week, and it just like pounded. It's not about parenting, but I think a lot of the principles are, are related. Listen to this. It says, in 1912, medical missionary Dr. William Leslie went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. After 17 years, he returned to the U.S. a discouraged man, believing he failed to make an impact for Christ. He died nine years after his return. But in 2010, a team led by Eric Ramsey with Team Cox World Ministries made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds in a dense jungle across the Quilu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie was stationed. Based on his previous research, Ramsey thought the Yansi in this remote area might have some exposure to the name of Jesus, but no real understanding of who he is. They were unprepared for their remarkable find. He's quoted saying, when we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle, Ramsey reports. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that, he notes. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered across 34 miles. Ramsey and his team even found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral in one of the villages. He learned that this church got so crowded in the 1980s with many walking miles to attend that a church planting movement began in the surrounding villages. There is no Bible in the Yancey language, Ramsey says. They used a French Bible, so those who taught had to be fluent in French. Apparently, Dr. Leslie crossed the Quilu River once a year from Vanga and spent a month traveling through the jungle carried by servants in a sedan chair. He would teach the Bible, taught the tribal children how to read and write, talked about the importance of education, and told Bible stories, Ramsey notes. Dr. Leslie started the first organized educational system in these villages, Ramsey learned. It took some digging for Ramsey to uncover Leslie's identity. The tribal people only knew him by one name, and I didn't know if that was a first or last name. They knew he was a Baptist, and he was based in that one city, and they knew the years. William Leslie's goal was to spread Christianity. He felt like he was there for 17 years. He never really made a big impact. But the legacy he left is huge. Man, I mean, I think that's a story that's related to all of the Christian life. To be faithful. 
to persevere, to plant seeds, to be kind, to invest. But if you're a parent here, can I encourage you on a very personal note? Because I know the reality, sometimes disciplining your kids, loving them when they're being, I mean, affectionately, little stinkers, when it seems like they're not taking in anything you're teaching them, when sometimes it feels like it's never going to end, can I encourage you that those are part of the fabric of the Christian life that you might not see for years some of the effect of your obedience in loving your children. But don't give up. Don't give up. Believe in the God of the harvest. We always talk about that at our church. Believe in the God of the harvest. Invest, love, pour seeds in, especially as you raise and discipline these little ones to have God be the center of their life. And none of us knows the future. We, doesn't know, we don't know what that's going to turn out to. That, that we have faith that God is using that and God is moving in that, even if we rarely see the immediate impact of the investment you make. Let me close here. God, we, we talk about this all the time, right? Every relationship we have in our life, ultimately, is not just about that relationship. Every relationship God has put in our life is to draw us closer to him. And can I encourage you, especially as a parent... Your parenting will lead you closer to Christ because if you're doing it right, you're going to feel like an utter failure sometimes. Sometimes you're going to compare yourself to other parents. Sometimes you're going to look at the way you're doing it and feel like it's not working. Sometimes you're going to feel like, what am I doing wrong? And what I want to encourage you is that as you continue to persevere, it's going to draw you to Christ saying, Lord, ultimately I don't have in me what it takes to be a good parent because I'm selfish too. I have my own needs. And that's what brings us to Christ as he reminds us of the good father, of the good older brother that sacrifices himself for us. And can I invite you, don't just try to be a better parent here. The goal today is not to try to be a better parent. The goal is to see, man, I really lack. Praise God for Christ. Praise God for Christ. Let's bow our heads together. And can I, can I invite you to stand with me right now as we respond to the word? And again, I think the response, it really, I mean, a room like this, it really depends on who we are, who you are, what you're going through. For some of us, it's your very real-life circumstances. For others, it might be more hypothetical. But I would suggest it's the same principles and what does it mean to love those around us. And can I invite you to remember um, Christ himself and as we come to receive the communion, come to receive the Lord's Supper, be reminded of the sacrifice of this Christ That ultimately, yes, Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to submit to him. But it's always submitting to a good ruler. Because he's not a ruler that tries to bully us. And I have to be honest, as a parent, sometimes I have to be careful I don't become a bully with my kids. I hope that doesn't really kill my esteem in your eyes. But I use my power. I do. How good that the Christ we follow, though, is one who says, submit to me. But what does he do? He gives his life for us. That's someone we're following. That's someone we're submitting to. And that's the call for all of us here. So whether a parent or not, I want to invite you to the table if you're a Christian. Be reminded of the Lord who says, follow me, and your life will be better. But how does he do it? By giving up his life. Receive the communion. Come take a piece of the wafer. Remember the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup. Be reminded of the shed blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sin, makes us into who we're supposed to be, and worship him in that. Sing. Pray, 
whatever you need to do. Lord, help us as we come to your table and come before you. And I pray for all of us here that we will be a church that values um, raising up little ones. And for some of us here, Lord, that's part of our life's call right now. So would you give more grace? Because God, I think when uh, often in parenting, it just feels like there's just no grace involved. Just judgment. Feeling wretched. And Lord, would you instead pour out merciful grace here today to be reminded our ultimate identity is not just even being a parent. But it's submitting our children to you. Praying to them. Praying to you for them, Lord. So help us, God, as we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for being a good father, giving us the good older brother, and being a good God worth following. We love you, Lord. So let's respond to the word this morning. Sing, pray, receive communion, pray with one another, however you need to do, and let's respond.